Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 128. My name is Julius Besser. Conjure by it at your own risk. I'm a podcaster. I work out of an office in Midtown Memphis. You can find me in the Yellow Pages under Solitaire Board Gaming Podcasts. All right. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode 128. This episode is about the sixth year anniversary of the podcast. It started late May of 2011. Ooh, and in six years, we've only done 128 shows. Well, yeah. You know, so that's not that bad. It's a little over 20 a year, right? <laughs> that's almost every one every two weeks. Eh, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. We'll get there. I mean, considering we're doing it every two weeks, we're not really going to get much higher than that. So, <laughs> so there we go. So, yeah, I mean, that's pretty exciting, though. It is exciting. It's pretty mm-hmm. cool. It's pretty awesome. Yep. It is also the anniversary, and I'm, you know what? I'm actually, actually accidentally jumping into the news because I was so excited by it. Yay! But it is also the third anniversary, fourth anniversary of the Solitaire Games of Your fourth Table. Fourth anniversary. Which is exciting uh, and a lot of fun. The Solitaire Games on Your Table is? Do you still read through the whole thing on that geek list? Do oh, you gosh, follow I everything? I haven't read through the whole thing in about three years. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I I cannot keep up. I thumb them all, and if the game looks interesting or anything about it catches my eye, I'll read it. But otherwise, I simply thumb them. I'm horrible. I just I, I the only time I'm ever looking at it is when I'm using the aggregator. Yes. I don't usually read through the whole geek list. I'll go to the aggregator and look at the aggregator for everything. I kind of almost wish like the aggregator would also show me like the newest instead of always sorting it by games. I wish I could sort it by just time entries and things like that. But I'll go through the aggregator, I'll look through it, I'll be like, hmm, anything interesting coming up here? Oh, cool, look at all these people talking about Kingdom Death Monster. I wonder what they say about Kingdom Death Monster, things like that. And I'll go and click through that way. But I, I, I tend to just look, look at it on the aggregator because the aggregator is an excellent resource maybe following those things. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, that's that, that's the thing. You know, I, I don't read them, but I still appreciate that they're there, and I'm glad people are, are filling them up because at the point where I really want to find out about a game, I go to the aggregator, find it, and then all that information people posted is there for me to read. And in case it's not clear, by the way, to anybody who uh, doesn't know about these things, the Solder Games on Your Table Geek List is a geek list supported by the entire guild, including the listeners from this podcast, we hope. Um, where essentially you're getting to post up your session reports or comments on games that you've played. And you participate on you post a new item list to it. And the aggregator is a separate website run by Kevin, which essentially makes a website version of the SGYT geek list and sorts it by most popular ones or by leaders or by new publishers or... Uh, just lets you search for mechanics or categories of games or search by games. And it's a great little website for finding all the information you want on uh, SGOYT. And if you're trying to browse, and I've seen a bunch of people recently like, I wish I could find out, you know, a list of all the games that are solitaire, some way of filtering our BGG. In all honesty, Solitaire Games in Your Table is a great way of doing that because you go and just look on the aggregator and sort by, you know, 2017, so go for the last five months, and just go through the whole list of all the ones that are there. And you'll usually find lists of everything, you know, all, all these solitaire games that you could possibly want, which is just cool. Mm-hmm. Yep, and if, you know, it, it's maybe not a, a true ranking of, of the game, like a BGG ranking. 
But but if you just count how many times each game's been played, that's going to give you a fair indication of how popular it is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there's enough stuff posted every month that I think that works. I think it, it gets around a thousand entries a month, you know, plus or minus from there. Just ton, ton of games getting played and listed. So yeah, so that, that's absolutely an invaluable resource. It's like the best thing of BGG. And speaking of posting up a whole bunch of uh, stats on games you've played, um, Gregory Berger, a podcast listener, and thanks for being one of our uh, Patreon supporters. But Greg Berger posted up an OniRim stats that he's managed to play a hundred games on the OniRim app, uh, and of which his win rate is sixty-seven percent. Which that sounds really impressive to me. Yeah, that's pretty darn good. That's my I've I've played I think about fifteen games, and my win rate is not sixty-seven percent. It's close to maybe like two. <laughs> yeah, so I'm looking. I've got 108 games played now, and my win rate is 48. percent Man, 108 I've, I've games. Yep, yep. And I used to be at about 52 percent win rate, and lately, it's just I've been losing them a lot. Let's see what does mine actually said. Let's pull that up. Loading, 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 loading. Stats: total played 10 games, total won three games, winning ratio 33 <laughs> percent. Lovely. So yeah. ten games. Well, you know, it. I definitely started around thirty-three percent. I've got one tenth of you guys. One tenth. <laughs> You'll catch up. You know, the thing is, it's easy to play a quick game here and there. Yeah, that's what I pull it out for. But yeah. you know, yeah, that, that's just what I'm pulling it out for. Exactly. Though mm-hmm. so the, the Star Realms just got the the app for that got a huge uh, facelift. It looks very different now, and it got a new Colony Wars expansion now. Which Colony Wars is that standalone yeah, game? I've heard a lot of people who aren't very happy about the new facelift. It, it looks very nice. It's I find it less functional, but you know, it. it I don't think it's unfunctional or, or whatever. I think it just once you get used to it, it'll be fine, and you won't remember that was different. I, I don't think it's bad. Unfunctional, eh? Mm-hmm. Got it. That's a word. It's That's a word. word. It's a word, mm-hmm. yep. Nope. Nobody is going to tell you that you don't know English, Albert. <laughs> That's right. I mean, if it wasn't a word, I couldn't have said it. Right. <laughs> right. But anyway, yes, it, it that is out, and that's also been using up a fair bit of my time online. Okay. And we definitely want to give a shout-out, by the way, to Greg Berger. He's a uh, proud supporter of us over on Patreon, and anybody else who also wants to come support us on Patreon, we really appreciate it. Uh, you know, we definitely, we definitely appreciate all the support that we're getting over on Patreon from all our Patreon backers. If you want to also support us on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash one player podcast. And your support helps us to be able to, uh, get better coverage on the games as we continue on through this. So thank you so much to everybody who supports us over there. That's right. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you as always. Another interesting piece of news that we saw is the new Manhattan Project Dice Game Contest. Have you seen this, Albert? I have not seen this yet. Nope. So this was actually forwarded off to me. Um, the people who do Manhattan Project or NAG Empire, which is another game that we did review and I gave it a big thumbs up, um, but over by Minion Games. So they are, uh, they released a new, a new game, Manhattan Project 2, Minutes to Midnight, um, which apparently didn't have a solo friendly count, but they are wanting to have a new game that has the essence and theme of the Manhattan project series. And they're wanting to be a, a more, I, I think what they're looking for is a more basic game, essentially a dice game, like the, the lower level dice game type thing. 
um, because mm-hmm. they're wanting it to, to be light to medium weight design and it has to play in one hour or less and preferably less. And it has to feel like a Manhattan Project game and it has to use custom dice as a major part of the game. But they're requiring for their contest that it has to have a solo mode. It has to support player count of one to four. So it has to port- support solo mode. And yeah, I just think that's really cool that they're very much putting a flag on the ground showing, you know, we want to support solo mode. We want to be able to make sure that we're, you know, checking that box and giving support to people who want to play our game solitaire. Mm, yeah, that's really cool, actually. I like that. Mm-hmm. And so what are the dates for this contest? Uh, well, you have to have the contest submitted by September 12th. Okay. So you do have a fair amount of time. If you're thinking about making a design for that, go ahead and get that done. I know I'm actually toying with some ideas for things that I want to do with it too, but yeah, we'll see if anything of that comes to, comes to final light. So hopefully, hopefully I'll be able to get something put together and that'll be cool. But if you're looking to get anything done for that, it has to be done by September 12th. Okay. So, so get working on it, people and, and good luck and good luck, Julie, if you enter. So Albert, I hear you've been doing some interviewing. Yeah. we We've got an interview here for uh, the game 12 Realms Dungeonland, which is out on Kickstarter now. It should have gone live the 25th, the the second incarnation of it. <laughs> the second incarnation of it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was on Kickstarter briefly, and they took it off to do some tuning and, and maybe improve the, the reward levels and that sort of thing. Okay. Have you seen the new one? Mm, no. Oh, okay. Because it isn't available yet. I thought they would have showed you a preview of it or something. Uh, not the guys. Desi- not the- I talked to the designers, and they're not doing the the Kickstarter. They're not running the Kickstarter themselves. Somebody else does, so they couldn't show me that. Sorry. Okay, but it is a neat looking game. It's you know it's miniatures, so maybe not quite your thing. Um, but there's some neat looking miniatures. Yeah, I remember seeing with the original Twelve Realms that they definitely had really nice miniatures. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and one thing you know you hear it in the interview, but one thing that's neat about this is that they can have a, an expansion to to let you use those miniatures with this game. Was well, from the old one? Yeah, you, if you have the original game, you get some of the character miniatures. You could use them with this game, with the uh, with that expansion pack. Have they changed how the game is played from the original Twelve Realms? Yeah, it's very different style of game. It's a, the original 12 games, I think, is more of a, a Euro type traditional co op game. This is a dungeon crawl. Aha. Uh-huh. And, and you'll hear all that in the interview. Well, interesting. Let's go ahead and take a listen. All right. All right, today I am here with Panos and Nick of the Twisted Brothers Studios, uh, the designers of 12 Realms, Dungeonlands, yep. and I guess the, all the 12 Realms games. How are you doing, guys? Hello. Hello. Hi. Uh, we, 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 we're fine. We just wanted to clear out. No, we, we're actually only the designers of 12 Realms, Dungeonland. Uh, ah, the, okay. The previous games were designed uh, by some other designers. We are just using uh, the same universe for the new game. Ah, I see. Okay, okay. Yes. My my misunderstanding, then. Thanks for explaining that. All right. Well, we're talking to you because you have a game... Well, right now, as of recording, it's not on Kickstarter, but it's going to be on Kickstarter by the time this show airs. Um, so you've got a game, 12 Realms Dungeon Lands, on Kickstarter with a mage company. 
Yes, that's correct. <laughs> well, I just wanted to, to first tell, tell us about yourselves. I am Panos. I am. I used to be a gamer. Like I'm still a gamer. I have been a gamer since I was like uh, 12, 11 or something like that. Uh, I play lots of uh, D&D. That's, I think, the game that I play most of out of everything else. And I really, I really love board games. Uh, okay. I used to play lots of them. You know, I used to like say this rule is wrong here or this rule could have been better here and all that. And that developed and it actually became my <laughs> job to write these rules and have other people tell me this rule, r- rule is wrong or this rule should be uh, different. <laughs> <laughs> Neat. So now is this your, your, your full time job? Yes. Yes, it okay. is. <laughs> oh, very cool. All right. So can you tell us a little bit about the 12 realm setting? Uh, yeah, the Twelve Realms setting is uh, a universe where all the fairy tales and folklore characters and all of that, like uh, Rapunzel, Red Riding Hood, all of these tales are supposed to happen within these Twelve Realms. So, nice, okay. So, yeah, the, this universe just contains all of the fairy tales, all of the folklore as well, like goblins, leprechauns, you know, all of that. Uh, and the, all the yes. various stories and stuff, they are all supposed to intertwine and all supposed to be happening in this same, like, uh, world where are, like, these 12 different realms, kingdoms, kind of. Okay. It, it reminds me of a, a role-playing game called Grimm that sounds like it has a similar setting. Yeah, yeah, it probably does. Uh, all of that is, uh, of course, based on the Grimm Brothers uh, stories, which is where it all began. So basically, yeah, there will be similarities. They are classic tales. Uh, we have just uh, done it so that they are all together, and we like uh, basically what we are seeing, especially in our game now, the Dunsland, is the conflicts that happen in this world as dark forces try to invade it, and the heroes try to fight back that tide of darkness because their stories start to, to to end badly and things start to get corrupt and out of control really fast. I see. Okay. Um... And so how does this Dungeonland game tie in with the original 12 Realms game? Basically, it only serves the same uh, universe. Uh, Dungeonland is a completely standalone new game. Uh, so we are using some of the same uh, monsters, some characters are the same, but basically the, the way the game plays is uh, completely new. Mm, okay. okay, that's right. The, the first one I think was a, a cooperative game. More, probably more of a, a Euro style game, and this this is more of a dungeon crawl, correct? Yeah, it's also a co-op game, but uh, mm-hmm. previous Twelve Realms are more, you can say, traditional co-op board game. This is more in the dungeon crawl uh, style of game. And how? So, so this is a solitaire gaming podcast. How does the game work out when you play solo? Is it where you're going to control multiple characters, or? Basically, you will be controlling two characters because with one, we believe that there, like, it is possible to play controlling one, but we believe that there won't mm-hmm. be enough fun if you can't even do like a basic combo between two characters. So you will be controlling two characters, and the game scales according to the number of players. So there will be no problem with that. And uh, I, we think it will actually be a very fun experience to play solitary because uh, you still have like a, a ton of skills, you have a ton of options, you will have two characters to manage and build as you like, you will have like uh, six characters in the base box and there is a character pack that actually lets you use the old the characters from the old 12 realms in the new game and uh, they are around like 30 more characters so the replayability and the combinations and everything is like chaos. It's 
it's in the hundreds, possibly. <laughs> yeah, the, the thing is that uh, I, we believe that in every co-op game, it's very easy to have a solo mode, you can say. Mm-hmm. Because also in uh, Dunsonland, there is no game master or DM or something like it. So it's a 100% co-op game. And one of the reasons that we we think that uh, even in solo you have to use two or more characters is that uh, we really emphasize in the synergies between the characters. So we think that also in solo, if you control more than one hero, it would be much better for a gameplay experience. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause when I've played other games, like say Pandemic Solo, it, I mean, yeah, you could play one character, and sometimes it's harder, but it, it also it's less fun, you know. Yeah. Just like you're saying, it's combining those characters and taking the advantage of each's ability to to work them together. Yeah, because th- 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 that's the thing when we designed the game. Like one of the aspects that we like designed it with is the combos that happen between the characters, and that you know you use this ability and I use that, or the different roles in a party and all that. If you're just one character. You can be average on everything, maybe, but still you won't be able to do combo and do cool stuff, you know, and reach, like, some ridiculous numbers or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you said it brings 12 characters in the game? Uh, six. Six in the base game. Six, okay. So. And there are uh, around 30 more in the character pack, which is uh, basically... We give you the components to be able to use the characters from the previous 12 room games in Dungeonland. Wow, okay. 30 more. Wow, okay. <laughs> and, and so what kind of characters are these? You said like Red Riding Hood and, and people like that. Yeah, they are heroes from the classic tales. They are, uh, Red Riding Hood, Snow White, uh, Prince Charming, Rapunzel, uh, the Grumpy. The Grumpy Dwarf. Uh, okay. and, uh, one more that I'm forgetting, the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Okay. Oh, very cool. I like that. Uh, so this game has three different modes of play, right? Yes. Uh, I remember reading. Okay. Can you explain that? Uh, yeah. So it has three modes of play. It has campaign. It has uh, the master quest, as we call it, and it has the arena style of play. The campaign is uh, basically your typical dungeon crawler campaign where the, you know it's like different scenarios and you get progress between the scenarios and the story goes on. It will be though very heavily story driven. That's like one thing that's kind of different from the other games. It will be m- more based on story and your choices because you're going to be making choices during scenarios. They are actually going to change the, for the next scenarios and change some stuff that you will encounter and the campaign actually has four different possible endings. That you could actually, you oh, could nice. actually okay. see in the story. Uh, now, uh, oh, the master quest is basically the campaign experience done short uh, in like two to two, two and a half hours. Now, why we made that mode is because we understand that nowadays people don't always have the time to sit down and play a campaign, you know, and have like people come over and over again and again, like the same people. Uh, you know, it's hard. For some people, it's hard to do that. So we, we wanted mm-hmm. you, we wanted yep. you to be able to experience the campaign experience and the character progression and all that in a way shorter, uh, amount of time. So we made the master quest, which is basic. It's basically all of the campaign progression and experience and fighting and all that in one huge scenario. Wow, okay. So so this is a, a huge two and a half hour scenario is what you said? Yeah, basically the master quest is like a a, a very big scenario that okay. includes all of the campaign progression. Like you progress while playing the same scenario. You don't like progress b- between gotcha. scenarios and stuff. Uh, 
Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, and the arena is, uh, it has three modes as well. It has, uh, PvP, like with teams. It has, uh, it's basically a PvP option where heroes compete against each other. And it has, like, uh, the team versus team. It has the free for all. And it also has a mode where the heroes also play cooperatively, but fight, like, against uh, tides after tides after tides of enemies trying to last as long as they can. Ah, okay. So, so the go there would just see how many rounds yes. it last. Yes, yes. Okay. Wow. Okay. So there, there's a ton of ways to play this game. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know it's a solitaire podcast, but just so people know, how many players will it support up to? Uh, it w- uh, currently up to four. Cu- yeah, we're planning up to four, but we see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. It currently supports up to four. Uh, you could play uh, on the arena. You could actually play uh, with maybe more players if you have okay. additional characters, maybe. Right, yeah, especially yeah. Like, then you can have up to thirty people. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not that, not that many. We don't yeah, have but enough. I think it. Yeah, a team battle it goes up to eight players. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah <laughs> you could actually do it up to eight players when it comes to the arena and PvP. Uh, but yeah, not thirty. We don't have enough uh, spot, <laughs> spots on the board. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that would be interesting to try. Um, okay, so so you mentioned in the campaign game, I, I guess that. A campaign game plays faster each scenario? Yes, yes, way faster. Each scenario is like a half an hour, 45 minutes tops. Wow, okay. So that's very doable. So, so somebody like me who, who has a lot, very limited time, and by the time I finally get to sit down and play a game, it's, there's no way I could play a two and a half hour, two and a half hour game. Yeah, that, Sounds that, like this that's, would work out great. That's why we did both. We basically wanted to be able to, like, the people that can do multiple times of a short amount of time play the original campaign people that can do one big day but can do like repeatedly you know short amounts of time do the master quest you know that's why we did both of them so that we can have like everyone can play however it suits them and their time basically Mm -hmm. okay and so so if you're playing the campaign game it sounds like it'd be very replayable because I'll play through the campaign and reach an ending and I'll go back and try it again probably with different characters and and make different choices just to see the other endings. Yes. Yeah, the thing is that if also if you choose the exact same character and you do the exact same choices uh, the campaign uh, will still be a different experience because we have a random generate system for the dungeon, mm-hmm. so you'll never play the same uh, same game twice. I see. Okay, and so, so can you tell me how the AI works for for controlling the monsters? Uh, yeah, basically for uh, normal monsters, the AI the AI is pretty simple. It's like a walk and attack thing. And, you know, they just, like, uh, have some uh, keywords. To, uh, maybe some of them have some keywords and some powers to determine some priority or something. But basically, it's walk and attack. But for bosses, where is like, where the game signs for us and the AI does, we have actually put a, a lot of effort to make a pattern system where each boss has its own patterns. And it will do, and it will, like, unpredictable uh, do some of them, like, uh, they're randomly determined by a dice. And, but in mid-fight, on cer- certain conditions, the boss might uh, swap to a different set of patterns and then swap back. And it, it, the boss might react to what the heroes are doing. So the bosses are actually very challenging. And you are feeling like you're actually playing against the DM because it is actually unpredictable. It does, like, a ton of different stuff, you know. It, it can do, like, attacks. It can summon stuff. It can, you know, you never know what, what the boss might do. Mm, okay. Yeah. That's, that sounds cool. The And the game is a miniatures game. I'm looking at the, the Kickstarter page now, and it looks like there's... 
that tons of minis for everything. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> uh, okay. It has a lot of miniatures. Uh, it will also have. Um, it also has uh, very nice uh, terrain pieces. Uh, we, we we tried to put us uh, the highest quality uh, components that we could for the game, and it's it's full of it. It's packed with stuff and with content, both gameplay and with like actual physical components. Okay, is it a big box? Yeah, we. The picture looks like a square box, say like um, the it, size of Arkham Horror or something like that. It's an Imperial Assault box, I think. Oh, about oh, the size okay. about the size of an Imperial Assault box. It's a big one, yeah. Okay, nice and deep. Wow, okay. And so, about the Kickstarter, what what can you get with the Kickstarter? You you could get the base game, or there expansions also, that sort of thing. Uh, the Kickstarter, as uh, as we as we will keep getting uh, support from our bikers and everything, we'll start to unlock stretch goals, and the stretch goals will basically be more minions, more bosses, more characters, you know, more miniatures for everything. Uh, further on, there will be some more scenarios as well. Uh, there might even be a whole new campaign or a whole new different set of tiles. You know, it all depends on how much support we'll get. But basically, we have prepared a ton of stuff for the people. Uh, if they support us, we will give them a ton of stuff. Cool. Okay. Yeah, and there are also there are also plans for uh, future expansions, but we'll see. <laughs> okay. Are are there going to be any expansions that you could you could get from the beginning with the campaign? Like you know, I could I could back the the, the base game plus one expansion or something like that, or not yet? Uh no. At at this point in time, we haven't. Uh, there won't be as, as far as we know. There won't be a, a, an expansion added to the Kickstarter. There will be like the base game and the character pack for the previous twelve rooms games. And the stretch goals and all of that, because it is actually a, a whole lot of content. Like, if you unlock all the monsters and all the bosses and that, it's it's a crazy amount of content. Uh, but if the game gets love and gets support, we will be releasing a, an expansion pretty soon. Like, we have ideas, we have stuff already prepared for an expansion. We're just waiting to see the people's reaction. Yeah, I can imagine it's it's got to be easy to come up with ideas, because there's so much stories that you could uh, rely upon for ideas right you know oh, yeah yeah we see we, yeah we also see that uh, in the process of developing the game that uh, the possibilities are almost endless <laughs> because as we create the game uh, new ideas keep on coming so yeah i'm pretty sure that uh, there will be several expansions following the base game yeah okay Basically, the problem is uh, one of the problems is not to add too much <laughs> to a game, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it looks like it's it's already a big, big box. You get a lot of stuff in, and when I'm looking at the Kickstarter pictures, tons of miniatures. Yeah. Plus all those stretch goals. I, I love the the characters that I've seen in the stretch goals, like these mushroom knights and the trickster goblins. <laughs> yes. It, it it looks whimsical, sort of. You know, they're kind of funny looking. Are is that supposed to be the case or? Yeah, the, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. It, 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 they are fairy tale, uh, you know, inspired. So they are supposed to be kind of more, you know, a little bit more childish, a little bit more family weight. You know, uh, you know, the whole depiction, the whole like style of them. That, yeah, that, that's how we wanted it to come out because it's it's the fairy tales that we grew up with. You know, they have a darker twist, like when it comes to story and what's happening and all that. But the basic, you know, the whole game is like colorful. You know, it's it's a fairy tale. We we want to to. Sh- we want the people to actually feel it, to see that we are talking about fairy tales and about their classical characters and like the stories they know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And you said uh, you you said it was sort of uh, 
like childlike and stuff but but uh just to be clear it's not a game for small kids when you look at it no 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 not even close not even close no no no, no. <laughs> uh, i meant i meant like the art style you know like um uh, i wanted to like emphasize on uh, you know it, it looked ca- the kind of cartoony nature you know of some stuff but uh no no, no. uh the game is actually a, um, a very pure co-op dungeon crawler which can actually go to very uh it, it can go into great depth Depending on how much the players want to, like, uh, you know, go- delve into it. But you could mm-hmm. actually do, like, it has a ton of skills. It has different skill trees and paths that you can take. It has different weapons and all these combined. It has different abilities and keywords that you can combine and everything. You can, all that you can, is like for one character, then you can do like combo between all the four of the party. It has a ton of stuff to go into if, if that's what you want. Mm-hmm, I see. Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, uh, the base rules of the game, we really try to keep it at sim- as simple as possible because we really, we really like to make a game that it doesn't have uh, extremely complicated rules, but at the same time, it has uh, enough depth and uh, interesting uh, choices. Yeah. Okay. To give to the players. Yeah. I see. Yeah, I, I gotta say, I love that this game has chicken warriors. <laughs> I think that's my favorite thing right there. The chickens and the mushrooms are just great. Yeah, the, the chicken wars are vicious, as uh, our players will, will find out. Yeah, if you get a couple of them together, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so if I get if I get this game and I get all the, and and we unlock tons of expansions and all, and I get all these extra enemies, how does that work? When when I go play a, a scenario, I choose which enemies I want to play with, or something like that. Or is just everything gonna uh, potentially attack Basically, there are, there are multiple there are multiple ways that you can use them. You can just add them all together, or in some scenarios, you have a choice to make a certain group of enemies, etc. Yeah, but there are but, yeah, there are not only one way that you can use all this all those components. Basically, we'll give options. Uh, players can either just put, for example, all the minions they have, which makes the game completely replayable and completely unpredictable. You have no idea what comes out, you know, and all that. Or, we will have some, like, small instructions, for example, like, make a deck of four or six different minions so that you can have, like, a, you know, you can manage a little bit better what comes out of the deck, you know, and all that. But, uh, yeah, uh, basically, if you want to, everything can be added in the game. Everything. You can, like, put all the minions in, you know, all the extra yeah. characters, everything. I see. Okay. Cool. And how many how many scenarios did you say ha- the campaign has? Uh, for now, the campaign will have something around 16 scenarios. Uh, okay. uh, where, whereas a, a whole playthrough of the campaign will be about nine. But scenarios, there will be extra coming, uh, plus as a stretch calls, and we'll be possibly releasing more on our website later. I see. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, that, that sounds really interesting. I, I like the, I like the game and the idea of it. Um, mm-hmm. so, so what future plans? Could you say any future plans that you'd like to release? Any, any, I don't know, specific settings you'd want to add or something like that? Uh, or, or is it too soon to talk about the future? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be- <laughs> yeah, we are we are talking about it. We're not uh, we're not one hundred percent sure what will come next because we have very different ideas for expansions and that stuff. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that if the game goes well, there will be a ton of expansions, and also there will be different type of expansions. There will be expansions that follows. Uh, 
the specific tale of a hero, there will be more generic expansions that just uh, continues the story of the base game, and many more. Yeah, we're, we're even thinking like about adding expansions that just add mechanics and more depth, you know, and stuff like that. We, we can add like yeah. further uh, continuation to the story and everything, and like, you know, uh, because it's so story driven, it can be like a continuous story that goes through the expansion and goes and goes, you know, and all the characters you have built just keep going and becoming more powerful and stuff. Uh, there are a ton of ideas. We are just waiting, uh, to see, basically. We are on this phase where we're just waiting to see, uh, the reaction of people and how much they like it and they want us to give them stuff. We're here. Mm, okay. yeah, if course, they support us, yeah, we will give them a lot of stuff. I see. Okay. Yeah. So, so I guess uh, l- let's wait till the Kickstarter is done before we start going beyond it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Basically. Okay. Uh, w- one last question, and then uh, and then I-, I will let you guys go because uh, I know it's getting late there. The um, you 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 briefly mentioned that you'll be able to in- use some of the components from Twelve Realms. I think if you said if you get the expansion pack or something like that. Yeah. The character pack. It's a. Basically, it's a conversion kit that you can use uh, all previously uh, heroes from the 12 Realms game and expansions. So you can basically can use each of those heroes in the dungeon land. I see, okay. And you, was that the, the 30 that you are talking about? Yeah, yeah. B- b- basically, yeah, okay. imagine that the base game has six heroes. If you get that pack and you have all of the previous 12 Realms games, you will be... Something around like thirty-nine to forty heroes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've seen. I've seen that there is a lot of stuff for that that original game. It just tons and tons. Yeah. There is. Yeah. That, that... Yeah. I believe that that if you, I think that everyone that takes the game will buy the game will be really impressed by the uh, the components. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think game. so. I've yeah. seen the miniatures at the store for for the original game, and they look nice. The um. Yeah. I lied. I do have one more question. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, no problem. <laughs> but I already forgot what it was. Ah, oh, hang on a second. Oh, no, I, I know what it was. You, you I, I noticed that there's a print and play available. Yes. C- can you tell us about that? Uh, that's basically a small, it's like a small scenario, like uh, purposely done really small, where you can like print and play like stand-ups of the heroes and the minis and everything, you know, everything you can print it on paper and all that and you can play out a small scenario to just get the hang of the rules and see how the game plays to see if you actually if you like it or not but uh we will also have uh videos on our kickstarter with gameplay uh we'll also have uh, like many reviews and stuff and all of that so people can also watch that if they want to i see okay if i do the print and play how many pages is that do you know uh, I don't know how it is currently because it has been updated recently, uh, but yeah. I don't think it's a lot actually. I don't think. Yeah, it's actually it's actually a pretty small part of the game. It's like a, you just take you just get a taste of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like minimal components just to have you go through like a few rooms, you know, fight a couple of monsters, and that's all. You know, just to see like the base mechanics and all that. I see. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Well, all right, guys. I, I think that is everything I have. Uh, thank you very much, and, and good luck with the Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. See ya. <laughs> all right. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed the uh, interview. It was definitely fun doing it. Well, next up, uh, we got uh, some feedback from listener Delton R. He posted on BGG and the One Player Guild a thread. 
on uh, our news from last time about White Dog Games, a couple games they released. You remember us talking about those games? There's three, two or three different games we mentioned briefly. Nah, I don't remember anything about them. I wasn't listening to you, Albert. Yeah, they're war games. I wasn't <laughs> interested. Well, here, let me read what he said because, you know what, he did a way better job explaining it than I did. The first game discussed is actually called N, the Napoleonic Wars. If you look up the Napoleonic Wars, you'll find the GMT game, which is very different. This game is a complex war game and can take upwards of three hours to go through all the modules. PMP is available along with the Vassal module and standard printed versions. While it's being described as an abstract and a bunch of boxes on the chart looking thing, those are my words by the way, it's actually closer to the type of map used with Cuba Libre and some of the other games in that genre, with a map in the background and in the background of the area and boxes where you mark and move your resources onto. So it's actually a map and then there's some areas that are regions that you can move into from the main map into those regions. And they're, they're sort of just blown up sections. That you, so instead of having a tiny little dot where you got to put hundreds of counters, they just blew up that section to make it look bigger. And that was I had totally misinterpreted that when I saw it. The The second one he mentions is The, the Last Stand, Little Bighorn, June 25th, 1876, is an intro-level game for those looking to try their hands at war games. At a war game. While the game supports two players and has a vassal module available with purchase, it is a standard hex encounter game for one player, which is great. There aren't enough standard hex encounter games for one player, I think. Um, A lot of times you see people asking about that kind of game and they don't, there just aren't many responses. I don't know, I think there's plenty. Well, (laughs) you do, don't you? (laughs) One's enough. Okay, and the final game is called Mrs. Thatcher's War, the Falklands, 1982. No midget at the beginning, he put in parentheses. And honestly, I'm not sure what that meant. Maybe it, maybe I said midget or something. Um, and it covers the incursion at the Falklands. This is the heaviest of the three games mentioned. Ex- expected release date is mid-July 2017. And PMP version is available for playtesters. And the devs have started posting on the BGG forums where they need people to help with it. So there you go. That's his comments. And uh, and he mentioned it afterwards. Uh, and whoever is talking about these games, please, if you're going to talk about new upcoming games as news, try to get some basic information on it and what type of game it is. The descriptions for these three would kill any interest in them. Right? And and uh, so, yeah, very, very fair. I did a terrible job describing those games. And he called me out on it. And, you know, yep. There you go. All right, guys. So, so essentially, yeah. what you're telling me is I need to not let Albert talk about games anymore. <laughs> if he sounds like he doesn't know what he's saying then don't let him talk great <laughs> half the podcast uh, gone <laughs> write it all oh. off bam just like that alright guys we're taking this down to a 30 minute podcast because we're just going to edit out <laughs> all of what Albert's saying that's the new rules you know when before you joined it was about a 30 minute podcast if I remember right. So it, it you're saying re- that we get rid of you to put it back to a 30-minute podcast? Is uh, that the idea? There, there we go. Yep. But then we'd have no more war game talk. Even bad war game What's talk. the problem? <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. It used to be 15 minutes to the longest episode was probably about an hour. And I'm so like harsh on war games. I don't really mean to be harsh on war games. <laughs> it's not that I'm harsh on war It's a running joke. Games. It's it yeah. maybe sort of a running joke. It's just that I never I'm I'm not into them. I have no real desire for them is really what it is. And it could be that if I ever started to play one, I'd then, you know, want to play more, but I never have. 
Yeah, well, you know, I, I will say that I'm not interested in the idea of war in in the in real life at all. I would consider myself a pacifist, but I'm war sorry, games. How are do you consider yourself a pacifist? I just think there shouldn't be any wars. I think people should not fight and and find solutions other ways. But this isn't a political podcast, so we're not going to get into that. That's ridiculous. (laughs) So, but but war games I find are interesting. What I like about them, a lot of times these war games tend to be more open and you have way more choices in in Euro games and that sort of thing. Um, You know, like a really big complex Euro game, like say Feast for Odin, tons of options and tons of ways to victory and all that. Um, A lot of times really have a lot fewer options than many war games would give you. They're way more open, and and you have more choices in what kind of strategy you can have and what you can take. I think, and that's what I like about them. I apologize; I don't really have an opinion to say on it, other than that I simply haven't tried it and have not scheduled any time or intention <laughs> to do so. Fair enough. If you ever see me at a convention, you are welcome to come over, grab me, say, "Sit down, we're playing this war game," and I will give it a shot. <laughs> Fair enough. Speaking and, of seeing me at conventions, by the way, have I told you about uh, the one small convention that I'm going to? Have we mentioned this in the podcast? No. Are you having a solo con? Uh, no, it's not a solo con. <laughs> uh, it's the design day for Stonemeyer Games. Ah, okay. I don't think you mentioned that. Maybe I heard about this, but I don't. I don't remember for sure. So tell us again if we have heard it. Alrighty. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be attending the Stonemaier Games Design Day, which is going to be happening on September 24th in St. Louis. Um, that I feel like this is a rare occasion for me that I feel like I can attend it easily because anytime there's any a convention occurring on Saturday, I can't go on Saturday, and usually that means that I don't want to pay to go to not go on Saturday, so I just don't go. But this one is just a single day. This is just on Sunday. And it's over in St. Louis, so it's not that far of a drive. So we're going to be driving over for just Sunday uh, and hanging out and playing board games and uh, playtesting new board games from the designers and and having some fun. And I expect it to be cool. So if you're going to be going to the Stonemaier Games Design Day, feel free to come over and say hi. I'd love to talk with you more. Very cool. Okay, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully people come and say hi. Make yeah, sure to bring your your challenge coin. <laughs> yeah, I'll bring my challenge coin exactly. <laughs> All right, and what up next? Well, maybe we should actually talk about a game this podcast. Oh, there you go. That's a good idea. It's a good because idea. We- <laughs> All right. So this time we're talking about the Dresden Files Cooperative Card Game. Uh, okay, I have not played that. I have, but I know it's based on a TV show or something. No, Albert. No, <laughs> no, Albert. No, it is not based on a TV show. It is based on a very good book series by Jim Butcher. It is an ongoing book series, and no, it is not based on a TV show. The TV show is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> it is really okay. the truth of it. Because that's what I heard. You don't just, don't just say just it tell to me. Tell me what Albert. I heard. Albert, don't say it to me. <laughs> don't do that. Uh, just for you know clear clarity, I did back this one on Kickstarter. And the reason why I backed this one on Kickstarter is because I'm a real fan of the Dresden Files novels. Uh, you know, As soon as another one comes out, I immediately will go grab it as soon as I can and read through it. And then usually it gets shared through the, with the rest of the family so everyone else can read it also. So... I'm a big fan of the series, and so when the uh, cooperative card game was coming out, and it was coming up by Eric Vogel, and 
it was going to be a cooperative card game set in the Dresden Files universe, I was extremely excited, and I went ahead and backed it. And a little bit of a spoiler, I don't think I was disappointed at all. I really enjoyed the game, and I was very happy with it. But I can definitely understand that a lot of the draw for this and a lot of my excitement for it is going to be coming from the fact that I really like the theme and the IP that they used for this game. So it may be that if you have no connection with the theme, you may be a little bit less excited about the game. Maybe. Maybe. That's all I can say is just maybe. (laughs) I don't think you will be because I still think the game is really good, but... I will say that, you know, just so everyone knows what my bias is involved in this, I really like the IP involved. That being said, the Dresden Files cooperative card game, which I really think they should not have named cooperative card game because if you think about how to abbreviate it, it's the Dresden Files CCG, right? Mm -hmm. Wrong acronym. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not a collectible card game. It's, it's not a collectible one, card game. It's a corporate card game. So they went and abbreviated DFCO for Dresden Files Co-op. Oh, okay. <laughs> How complicated. Maybe they shouldn't have put the card game in there, but who knows. <laughs> anyway. Um, so... This is the cooperative card game. Let's go through things in our normal outlined form and fashion so that we can cover everything in its due time and place. You ready, Albert? Yeah, I'm ready. Here we go. So the brief overview is that you are one of the various characters in the Harry Dresden universe, or if you're playing solo or two-player, you're multiple characters in the Dresden Files universe. And you will pull out one of the book decks or a side jobs random scenario deck uh, and shuffle up the tw- 12 cards that make up the various obstacles or enemies that you're going to have to be facing during the course of the game adventure. And these are all themed around a specific book or one of the various novels that they've done. And you will play your cards in order to interact with the cards on the table. Your goal is to solve more cases uh, and defeat enough enemies that you you get more points than the game gets points at the end of the game. And that is Dresden Files in a nutshell. You have to, uh, each of the cards is a multi-use card type thing. Cards can either be used for their action, which costs fate points, or they can be discarded for fate points, which is how you generate fate points in order to use them for other cards. Okay. So the rules for this one, it's a relatively simple game. I don't think it's a highly complicated game like, you know, Arkham Horror or something like that. There's not a lot going on in the game, so the rules, you know, were simple, clear, nicely illustrated, easy to understand what's going on. Um, I kind of wish that there was a better reference because the the game is all about using a limited amount of resources. Each game, you'll draw a certain number of cards, and the amount of cards changes based on the player count. And in most cases, you will never ever get to draw more cards. So, for example, in five players, you will only draw four cards, and you are very likely to never see the rest of your deck. And it's all about using those limited resources well. But I kind of wish those lookup tables and things like that were printed on the back page of the rulebook so I didn't have to open up the rulebook to that side 
you know, just because I needed to. And I feel like because the, they, they put together on the back page a set of strategy tips. And I would have liked if they just removed one of those paragraphs just for a quick lookup for that. So I didn't have to open up the rule book to find it. Since every single time I play, I don't have memorized, even though I played it a bunch, I still don't have memorized how many cards it is that you're drawing when you're doing it. So I just wish they had that one lookup. But other than that minor nitpick, you know, I think that the the rules are very clear, very easy to understand, big, bold text. You, you know, if you're picking up the card game after a bit and you're trying to refresh your memory on something, it's easy to find things. So, you know, good, good clear rule book. Good job. Nice. Okay. So let's talk then about the components. Um, the game uses a set of unique art for... Each category is what I'm going to say in general, because not every card has unique art. For example, there are attack cards for each player deck. So, for instance, Karen Murphy has attack cards. All of Karen Murphy's attack cards have the same art, even though they have different stats on them. Similarly for book decks, all of the cases in a deck, all of the green cards in a deck, have the same uh have the same art and all of the purple cards in a deck have the same art, even though the individual purple cards have different text. And I understand why they did that. You know, it's a lot less expensive to make less art. And actually there was, they were originally going to be having just one set of art for every single card. And instead um, they had <laughs> each book has its own set of art, I suppose the sharing between them, which yeah, I'm really glad they got different art for each book because I cannot imagine, you know, still being excited had they not had those unique pieces of art. I I just think the game would have really suffered had they not had all this art. Um, yeah, I agree. That that wouldn't have worked out so well. I don't think so. But, I mean, fortunately, it didn't happen that way. The Kickstarter was really successful, and they got unique, enough unique pieces of art that you you see a little bit of overlap in the various different pieces. It would have been nice if they had had completely unique art, but for each of the art pieces, they sort of mash together everything that's involved. So, for instance, one art is about, you know, the different type of fey, and so they, they mash together all the different fey on that one card, and so the different cards reference the different, essentially, aspects of pieces of art in the card. Not, you know, not optimal, but fine decent that said the card art itself is really nice i really like the art that they did it by um mr walpole i believe is the artist because i know i actually just contacted him to try and see uh tyler walpole is the is the artist and i actually just contacted him to see if i could get some art done for uh from him for some other purposes so we'll see if that goes through um so I really like the art. I, I think the art looks really nice and really, I really like what it does. And for me, it really evokes a set of the theme. And we'll probably get back to this when we get back to the theme. It really helps evoke a set of the theme. It, ev- it evokes, you know, almost nostalgia for the original set of books. So I do like the art that was going on. I actually remember that sometimes during the Kickstarter, he would post up on his um, Twitch page that he was doing the live art pieces. And so the guys who were who were giving him the pieces of art to do would say, "Okay, do this piece of art," and I would go and sort of watch him, you know, in the background while I was getting other work done, and I'd see the art pieces coming to life, and I'd be like, "Oh, that's this scene," 
and I would chat with Tyler while he was on Twitch drawing these pieces of art. I would say, oh, that's that scene. That's, that's the scene. Except that you're drawing a, a guy there and that, that was a girl who, who was in that part. He's like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, let me, let me just go in and add some hair here. <laughs> That's so, cool because you watch him do that. Yeah, I watched him do that. So that was that was fun. I like doing that. So again, you know, a lot of this comes into for me, I have a connection to the theme which increases and enhances my enjoyment of the whole thing. And that was just another thing that was fun for me to go do was watch the art sort of come to life. Mm-hmm. And I know that he still does that for other projects that he does. So if you ever wanted to see an artist, this may be a way for you to go watch an artist do some live sketches. So that's all about the the art of the game. Let me just mention one other component that sort of stuck out at me. The dice used in this game are fate dice. And if you're not familiar with fate dice, Albert, tell us about fate dice. Fate dice are six-sided dice. Um, that, well, they're really D3s, not D6s, in that there's two, three different images, two on two, on two sides each. There's two minuses, two blanks, and two pluses. And fate dice are used in various different RPG games, really. That's what, that's where they were used before, especially for fate core. There actually is a Dresden Files role playing game series that uses fate dice also. And in universe, actually, that's, it's an in joke. Have you ever seen the Dresden Files role playing game? No, I have not. So in universe, it's actually a little joke is that Harry Dresden and gang in universe made the Dresden Files role-playing game in order to make more people aware of the truth of what society is. Because Harry Dresden, the novels, is an urban fantasy game. It's a wizard set in modern-day Chicago and going and magic is real and monsters are real. He's going around rescuing people. So by making the role-playing game, he's putting out there all these things about all the different creatures so that everybody can properly arm themselves. And even in the novel series, he plays what is essentially Dungeons and Dragons, but he plays it with fate dice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, funny. Cool. So in universe, he is actually a gamer. Harry Dresden in universe is a gamer, which is funny. Yeah, that is neat. That's cool. It gives him more character. Exactly. So they use these fate dice for the game because sort of that's the thing of it. So they brought over the fate dice and used fate dice for the game. And I think they use it quite well. But I found it strange the colors that they used. They used orange and purple. And I spoke with the publishers about why they used orange and purple. They they grabbed orange and purple primarily because they wanted to color a fate die that they hadn't made before. But they grabbed orange and purple because those are the colors of Bob's eyes and evil Bob's eyes, which are characters in the novel series. And uh, so they wanted to grab those colors. Uh, it's still uh, like <laughs> orange and purple don't fit the th- the colors of the rest of the game. <laughs> no, it doesn't match the art style at all in the games. <laughs> I mean, the color, if they would have made the purple sort of match the same purple as they use the obstacles or something like that. But to me, I always like the orange and purple just didn't make sense in it. I'm not, you know, they have their reasons. It doesn't bother me anything at all. But for me, it was like, okay, (laughs) sure. Whatever. So interesting. All right. 
but I they used the fate dice, which brought it over, which is really neat how they used it. So let's talk actually about how they used it going into the gameplay. So with the fate dice, a number of cards will have a box in them. So for instance, one card may do four and then three in a box clues. And whenever it's in a box, you roll that many dice and the number is modified by the fate dice. So let's say you rolled three dice and you got minus minus blank. So you would subtract two. So even though you might have thought, oh, I was going to do four hits or four clues. Nope. You only got two. Too bad to be you. But you could roll plus, 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 and you get a whole bunch of extra hits or clues. So there's a certain amount of randomness involved on those cards. Um, so that's how you use the fate dice. But because it's fate dice, the majority of the time, especially if you're rolling multiple dice, it's going to come out to be zero. It's going to come out to, to not modify anything. So you do roll the dice a fair amount of times. You can certainly avoid rolling the dice. There's some cards that almost want to encourage you to avoid playing them for a dice roll and just use them to discard for fate. So you certainly can avoid playing with the dice, and I don't feel like the dice ever seriously hamper your style other than in the final aspect of the game, uh, the, the showdown that I'll get back to in a minute. But there is a certain amount of randomizer involved in there. Uh, and so that's how they use those dice, which, you know, I, I, I think is a strong way to use those dice. And it sort of levels out the randomness of those dice rolls by, and still adding in some level of randomness because otherwise it would be a completely closed puzzle, which is less, less fun than necessary. Mm-hmm. Another couple aspects of the gameplay that I would like to mention on. Um, I've mentioned before that I am a fan of multi-use cards. For example, Bruges is another one that does multi-use cards very well. Each card has multiple uses, and you have to weigh out, well, do I want to use it for this? Or do I want to use it for this? Villages of Valeria is another one that is a multi-use card. And I like the use of multi-use cards because it adds a lot of tension for every card it is that you play because you could use it for multiple things. And no matter what you're doing, you're giving up something. And the cards in the, the, in the game tend to, um, make you want to use them for multiple things. A big card can be used to make a big action, or it can be used to fuel a bunch of little actions. And both of those are things you would like to do. You would like to both have the big action and fuel a bunch of little actions. So, it really feels like in the majority of cases that you're trying to make a good decision, but there, and well, not, but, and there are some cards that almost encourage you to want to use them one way or the other. Like they are very niche to use them in a certain way, either for their action or for their fate points, in which case part of the skill in playing the game. Well, is seeing those cards and understanding when it's good to use those cards just for fate and how you definitely should be using those for fate. Or for example, if you get a lot of cards, let you clear obstacles or take advantage of things and all of those type of cards, the purple and the orange cards are gone, then, you know, it's clear to you. So now I have a whole bunch of cards I can use for, for fate or for discarding for other effects. And, you know, part of the challenge of the game is to be able to use this. So I like how all of those come out. So essentially I'm saying multi-use cards, thumbs up, like multi-use cards. Mm-hmm. The, the game I mentioned before also is all about using limited resources. You'll be drawing very few cards during the game. 
So if you knew all the cards, which you do in solo, it's close to a closed puzzle, uh, a closed elements puzzle, because you in general see everything laid out in front of you. And now it's just a matter of using all of it to figure out how to make best use of it. Now then you will have some card draw and you will have some dice rolling. So it's not a completely closed system, but it's really close to it. And so having to puzzle out how best to do it all makes you, makes me at least feel smart. I like being able to see that puzzle and understand how to make the best of it in order to succeed at the game overall. You can't figure out the whole thing, but when I succeed, I do feel smart because I figured out the puzzle. I understood how to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And, and I think the randomness just means you could, you know, every time you play, it's going to be a little bit a little bit different well there are a lot of things that change it around a little bit differently but i think you're also a fan of that type of puzzle are you not yeah i am i am definitely so another aspect of the game that i also wanted to mention is in multiplayer there's conversation restrictions about what you can talk about what you can't essentially you can't spell out exactly what your cards are you can say i have a really powerful attack or something like that if you're familiar with arkham horror uh, it's similar to that. You can't say exactly what is on your card. And the purpose of that in this game is essentially to keep things moving along. If you're in a multiplayer game and you're having to sit around and figure out what everyone exactly can do, um, it's just going to slow it down and it's going to be less fun. Having it be essentially that I only know about what my things are um, means that we can all have fun playing and interacting with just the things that we have. Now, because... What, there's that conversation restriction. You get some additional resources when you're playing multiplayer to account for that because it's essentially harder because it's less of a closed system because you'd know less. But mm-hmm. having that conversation restriction, originally when I read the rules, I remember when I read the Kickstarter, I was like, oh, boy, that conversation restriction sounds annoying. I'm going to have to be very careful to talk about it. I just want to play the game. But having that conversation restriction means that I can legitimately tell a player, I don't know your card deck. Stop asking me and just take your turn. <laughs> Essentially. So, and that's a good thing because it keeps the game playing and it means that a person doesn't, uh, another person who's playing the game, don't worry about trying to make sure you're playing the exact right thing. Just play whatever it is that you have because that's all you're expected to do. And mm-hmm. it reduces the stress and it keeps the game moving and flowing along nicely. So. Yeah, but otherwise you can have all sorts of trouble. Like, like this seems to also help with the uh, the alpha gamer syndrome. Exactly. Exactly. But I think it also helps new players, too, who are shy and don't want to make a wrong move. Just make a move. Mm-hmm. Yep. Beta players. I don't know what you call that that syndrome. Beta <laughs> players. Anyway. Beta players. Beta players. Yeah. But that's not such a big issue in the solitaire game, is it? Uh, well, no, because in the solitaire game, like I said, you have less resources because you actually do get to know everything. Um, but as with always, I want to mention how it plays in both multiplayer and so Yeah. Yep. Um, one negative, though, about the gameplay that I'm going to mention. The game is balanced to make heavy use of Harry's ability. Each character has two abilities, a once-per-use ability and a ability that happens every time you discard for fate points. The game is balanced around having Harry be in every game because Harry's ability is integral for playing intelligently on the board, which means that Harry's deck you're going to be seeing every single game. (sighs) 
I wish mm. they hadn't done that because I'm getting bored of seeing Harry's deck every single game. <laughs> I'm kind of but, hoping that they're going to come out with an expansion that gives me a couple alternative Harry decks, but still keeps that one power or keeps something that, that interacts. The, the, the thing that Harry's deck does is it lets you move around obstacle and advantage cards. And sometimes you'll be left in a situation where you have to move those around rather than dealing with them in order to deal with other cards. And you kind of do need to have that. If it Couldn't they just have given you like a summon Harry card that anybody could use or something like that? Just, just specifically to take that ability when you need it? Maybe. I mean, I think there are definitely other things they could have done. And when they were designing the game, they said, oh, Harry Dresden, it's his game, so he should be in every game. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. I get that thematically. But but that also means that then the rest of the components are just useless. And and each of the decks is a little different, right? Each of the decks is a little different, yes. Yeah, so each of the decks is, we were talking about uh um we were talking about replayability. Each deck is different, each of the book decks are different, they have different amounts of enemies and things like that. And so some of the strategies are actually about well seeing the book deck and then picking characters that will let you defeat the book deck handily. I will admit I haven't thought about that that much. And I actually wish they had randomizer cards in the game so I could pick random decks. They don't have that. Hmm. Okay. I'm, I'm just simply not that smart to be able to, or not that patient to sit there and try to think about how to do each of those. Gosh, okay. Yep. What was that? What was I going to say? I was going to say something. I forgot what it was. I can't believe it. I just forgot. Well, you were talking about ways of solving the Harry Dresden problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, there's something else. Oh, go on. Whatever. So, maybe, yeah. Maybe I was just going to say it was thematic because, and you'd already mentioned because, because it's a game about Harry. Yeah, you're right. It is, I mean, it is thematic because it's a game about Harry, and that was the explanation for why they did it that way. But on the other hand, I want to see more of the other decks. So, mm-hmm. I don't know, I think there are ways they could have solved that problem differently and they elected to pick it this to, to solve that problem this way. I don't think that was the best decision that they could have done, but I will respect it and I don't think it's that big a deal. It's okay so you have to use Harry every time. You still get a fair amount of other differences in and replayability about how you play all the other decks. Especially And since- it's a cooperative game, so you could always just choose to play two characters. Is that true? Well, what? It's a cooperative game, right? So you could just choose to play two characters. Well, when you're playing solo, well, let's talk about this for a second. When you're playing, and really this goes in later, but we'll do it now. When you're playing solo, you actually must play three characters. Oh, okay. So it's Harry and two others. So it's Harry and two others. And when you're playing two player, you must play two decks and then you mash them together and get random. Okay. So two players is mashed together. Solo is three separate hands that you have to play with. And according to the rules, actually, for solo, you spread those hands all across the table. I personally found it's just as easy to keep the hands sorted in your actual hand, as long as you're careful to keep them sorted. And I still play just as strategically, and I don't need to consume nearly as much table space doing that. Mm-hmm. Yep, that makes sense. Okay. So as long, yeah, and you're saying keep all all the all three hands in your hand instead of yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. Exactly. So, but that, so for solo, you're definitely going to be seeing more players. So you're not only going to be seeing Harry. You're just always going to be seeing Harry each time. Gotcha. Okay. So get used to seeing those cards. You'll see it each, each individual time. Anyway, we spent more than enough time than this really requires, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. Let's talk about theme. Okay. So this is a thematic game. This is a highly thematic game in terms of its artwork, I think. I don't think it's it's mechanically highly thematic because in the course of the game, you're going to like deal a couple hit points, a couple points of damage to this guy and then you'll swap back around and put a couple clues on this case and so you're sort of slowly whittling away at each of these guys. And I never understood how the I mean I don't understand how this happens in terms of like what you're actually doing. For instance, one of the bad guys is Bianca. You go and you you throw a couple punches on her and then you sort of dash away happily to go solve more of a case or to go <laughs> hang out and drink a speed potion. The book took all of these elements and put them together in a narrative. And you've sort of taken the whole book, thrown them up in the air, and gone through all of the elements of the narrative in a sort of random fashion, however it is that you can play through the game. So what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that's always the problem with games. It, they just take bits and pieces of the stories and mash it up. and just yeah. all, all the parts are there, but... All the parts so are there. So yeah, I don't, I don't ever feel like I'm Harry Dresden. It's not like a, the role-playing game where, you know, you feel like you're playing through the story. You don't really feel like you're playing through the novel, but I'm a big fan of the novel. So every time I sit down, I'm like, Oh, look, <laughs> there's, there's the whole book laid out in front of me. Let's play. Uh, <laughs> so the book is definitely out there in front of you, but you're not really playing through the book. You're still playing a game. I mean, what it sort of feels like is, is Harry Dresden, you know, wanted to, to in world, I can say like Harry Dresden made the role playing game. Harry Dresden sort of made this game about himself because he likes playing games in, in world. He <laughs> likes playing games and he made a game about his experiences and it's still just a, it's just a game. It's, it's not meant to be the role playing game. And apparently it's he's a little bit vain. <laughs> well, no, it's not <laughs> no. that he's vain. So, so if you've not read the books, but you play the game, are you getting spoilers? Yes. Okay. Oh yes. So you you may want to avoid the game until you've read the books if you plan. No, to read it. I mean that depends how much. <sighs> I don't think you'll. I mean, you will get spoilers. There are certainly spoilers there. For instance, character beep dies, and you can do whatever you want with that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's right out there. It's on. Yeah, it's on a. Everybody card. else, I heard the character's name. I know exactly what he said. It's right there on a card. And, you know, there are certain things like that that let you, that you, you can see these things there. But if you don't understand all the context, you're not going to get it. You know, like even one of the early on books has a giant monster, a giant scorpion monster pop out at you. And, you know, there's a spoiler. And you probably just heard it. There's going to be a giant monster, a giant scorpion monster that pops out at you. And then you see the giant scorpion monster on one of the cards. And now you know that there's going to be a giant scorpion monster, but that doesn't reduce the surprise and enjoyment of seeing it actually come out because you didn't understand the spoiler beforehand. It wasn't mm -hmm. like me going mm -hmm. and telling you that 
you know, this particular plot point went through and did it. If before the game, before the start of the game, I tell you the whole novel and how all these pieces interact, don't listen to me if you haven't read the book. Don't do that. Run away. Or assuming you care. (laughs) Which there's one guy who like, again, I like the theme of this. Every time I sit down and play it, it brings back all the nostalgia and all the memory for me, the original books. So I sit down and I play it. And so I tell someone, okay, in Stormfront, this happened, and then this happened, and then we fought this guy, and then all this happened. And I sit down to explain the whole story to one guy I'm playing. He's like, I don't care about the story. I just want to play the game. I'm like, wait, but what? I don't care about <laughs> novels. I don't like, Dude, I don't like no the novels. Fun. I don't like reading about it. Just, I, I just want to play the game. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> no Fine. You know, I don't think it would be fun. I will, <laughs> again, there's a whole story in here. And even if you're not, you know, isn't it someone interesting? I mean, for anyone who's worrying about, will I enjoy the game even if I don't like the rest of the files, that guy liked the game and he wanted to play another round until we won and we won eventually. But he liked the game and he enjoyed it. So, yeah, that says something about if it's really tied to theme. But for me, I was like, but the the story. <laughs> Come on, guy. Anyway. Man, I can't believe you did that. And hopefully he's not a listener. <laughs> Not anymore, he isn't. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but I mean, so like, there's some things that, you know, it, it feels like sort of mashed together off of, like, for instance, fate points. There's no fate points. Harry Dresden doesn't need fate points to fuel all his clue solving. He could just keep clue solving. And the end of it, we talked about, we haven't actually mentioned this, but after you go through and you solve as many clues as you can and you've spent all your cards, there's one final showdown. And in the final showdown, you can spend any last fate points you have remaining at a final last-ditch attempt to uh, get a couple hits on or get a couple extra clues to defeat uh, cases or enemies. And it's your last-ditch chance. And there's never any really separate showdown separate from all the cards themselves. Like, all the elements and things in the actual game, there's no separate showdown. It doesn't really happen sort of that way. Like, all the elements in the cards come down to make the showdown. There's not a separate showdown or something like that. But mm-hmm. the separate showdown is fun because it's a last-ditch chance in, when you're playing the game to try and spend your last fate points because you want to be able to use those for something. And there have been many a time where I've won in the showdown because I was just so close. I just needed one or two more points just to get me over the line, and I did it. So all those things, just in terms of the mechanics, are not thematic, but the art is really thematic. Mm, okay. Yep. You know the the way you talk about the fate points and all that, and this reminds me in a way like games like a uh, Dungeons by TSR. They were sort of light RPGs, sort of. To, I, I imagine to get get people into RPGs from a board game angle. Do you, do you get a sense that it's anything like that? Where where maybe no. this would be a stepping stone into an RPG? No, because there's no real RPG elements to it. Yeah. It's a puzzle. It's a it's a very puzzly board game. It's a puzzly co-op game. But you don't feel like you're role-playing. You okay. Again, you can play the game entirely separate from the whole thematic elements of it. Yeah. Though that rule about not talking about your cards does sort of add to that. Because you could, you could then start saying, oh, I could hit this person really hard or something like that. That sort of gives a, a, a flavor of RPG in a way. 
I don't know if it is because it's not like with RPGs where there's story elements that are interactive with the game. The stories of the game don't matter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the cards have unique things. For example, like there's some cases that can't be solved until an enemy is defeated or enemies can't be defeated until a case is solved. And those sort of things, the reason why they happen has in-game meaning to them. Do they need that in-game meaning or are they just, you know, I I don't think it does. It's a puzzle. Mm -hmm. It's a puzzle is what it is. So that's all about the theme. Talking about the solo we talked about before, how there's the variant for solo that requires you playing three-handed. Um, and there's the variant for two player. Um, both of those feel very much like the multiplayer game. Both of those are also still very enjoyable. And I don't really feel detracted at all from, from the method of playing the game. I've seen some other people feel like it's not thematic to play two players where you're mashing together two characters. I'm like, dude. <laughs> yeah. The whole thing doesn't feel thematic in terms of the actual <laughs> mechanics. So who cares? Yeah, the same thing comes up with the um, like the Lord of the Rings card game, where where it's kind of weird when you get two characters that that have nothing to do with each other come come adventure together. Mm-hmm. And it's a little weird, but you know, it's a game; it's still fun, whatever. Yeah. So that's that's just exactly what I'm saying. Uh, so solitaire, I think they they did an excellent solitaire implementation of it. Um, so I think that's everything we have to say on it. Final thoughts. Do you have any final thoughts, Albert, before I give mine? Uh, I don't have any final thoughts. It sounds interesting. Um, but, you know, it's based on that TV show, so I don't know. Albert, don't say that. <laughs> I will shoot you. What are your final thoughts? Is this a game you should get if you're strictly a solitaire gamer? I do think this is a game you should get if you're strictly a solitaire gamer. It, you ha- if you like the puzzles and you like the limited resources of it, then I think you're going to like this. You have to like the puzzles, though. This is not a- all about the dice rolling game. This is about looking at the the board state and figuring out what your optimal moves are. Uh, I give it a big thumbs up. I think that you would like it even if you're not a fan of the Dresden Files. I think you will really like it if you are a fan of the Dresden Files. I think you will like it if you like puzzled games. Um, I don't know why they bothered calling it a card game because even though it is, I don't think that is the super important part about it. It just happens to have cards as its primary mechanic. <laughs> it also happens to have dice. It's a cooperative game. <laughs> okay. Well, very cool. Okay. So big thumbs up. Excellent game. I like it. It's, it plays really fast. It takes less than 30 minutes to pull out a game and go through it. It's, it's super fun. Great game. Big thumbs up. Huzzah. Awesome. I'm going to go be Harry Dresden. (laughs) Magic. Have you dressed up like like Harry Dresden for Halloween yet? I'm gone. I don't have Halloween, you fool. (laughs) Goodbye. Poof, I'm gone. Oh, Julius left already. Well, good night, everyone. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.